everyone and welcome to episode 50, 58 of Now We're Talking. This is a podcast about communication skills. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo and uh, you know, last episode we talked about trust and transparency uh, and I think I've been working through some key issues in persuasive communication and today I want to move away from transparency and toward uh, a really, really powerful persuasive communication practice that's also uh, incredibly simple. And sometimes it's, it actually can be practiced so well it produces sort of distrust because the person seems so clever. The person that uses it can seem kind of overly clever. Um, anyway, today I want to talk about making distinctions. And it's interesting. So I, I often tell my students that the very, very first courses that students ever paid to take in the history of Western civilization were courses in, in rhetoric, taught by teachers of public speaking, essentially, but taught by rhetoric teachers like me. And the reason that these uh, first courses were popular among students is that the students that took the courses, they wanted to become leaders in the Athenian assembly in ancient Athens. Um, so the idea was that if they learned rhetorical practice, they'd be successful in life. So they were willing to pay for expert teachers in rhetorical practice. And what I'm going to go through today in this podcast is one of the very, very, very first episodes you would have learned from an ancient rhetorician. Um, and one of the kind of central lessons I teach my students in, in classes on persuasion and speech writing, etc. Um, and that's about how to make a distinction. The, um, the exercise that students in ancient Athens learned was, learned was called On the Correctness of Names. And in that exercise, the teacher of rhetoric would ask their students to make fine distinctions between two synonyms or two closely aligned words. Uh, so hard and difficult, what's the difference between hard and difficult? Um, so anyway, there, there's an old adage in philosophy too that, that applies I think to lots of different circumstances. And that's when in doubt or on the defensive, you should always make a distinction. So I try to teach my students to think on their feet by making careful and quick distinctions because if they, can make those distinctions in the course of conversation that can reset the terms of any argument. And it's particularly noteworthy to, to, to realize that leaders are masters of that kind of practice. So really persuasive people that end up in leadership positions are often masters of quick and careful distinctions. So here's a really simple example to start off with. If you're listening out there and anyone's ever told you that they love you but aren't in love with you, then you know the power that a careful distinction can have in the course of a communicative interaction. So it's a really small distinction. In fact, it just includes inserting in a preposition between being in love and um, loving. So, and that small distinction, the reason it's so powerful, reframes a conversation and introduces a difference in kinds of love that now everyone must think through or think with that difference that's been introduced. Uh, so it's also an attempt, by the way, by one party to save face and preserve the feelings of the other party. It's what we might call a distinction with a difference that has an enormous effect on an audience. So of all the communication practices that I've covered in this podcast, 
I think this is probably the simplest practice that we can imagine. Uh, so here's another simple, simple example. But someone the other day told me that I looked tired and I shot back and said, no, I'm just old. Again, this is a distinction with a difference. Being tired implies that something happened to me recently that left me feeling worn out or with improper rest. But being old implies that I feel that way all the time. And it wasn't just a day that had tired me out. It's like my entire life that had made me tired. So sometimes, um, so, so that distinction again, reframes the conversation in a really powerful or effective way. Uh, sometimes distinctions can work in the reverse also. So we might assume that love and marriage have a lot in common, but we could argue that love and marriage are actually different. We could say that marriage is a kind of farcical domestic arrangement that becomes a form of torture. And that love is a fire that burns eternally in one's soul. That's another distinction that was used to break apart two things that we might think are aligned. So we might think about marriage and love as connected things, but if we introduce a distinction, we can describe them di differently in that way to frame a sort of difference. Um, that's another kind of... So uh, what I'm suggesting is that distinctions can also break apart two things that we might think are aligned. Okay, so here's the larger point. A good communicator is a master at making distinctions in all kinds of contexts and for all sorts of occasions. In the business world, okay, so if you're listening to this and you're in advertising or marketing, you rely on distinctions more than anything else in selling your product. Every product, in order to be successful, has to make, be made distinct from some other product like it on the market. And every product has a comparable, parket, pro, comparable product like it on the market. So when we buy Nike shoes, Instead of Reebok, so okay, the question is more like this. Why would you buy Nike shoes instead of Reebok shoes? They're ex essentially the same thing. There's no difference in the, the product. And the reason I suggest there's no difference in the product is because they both serve the same function. Um, so to answer the question of why you'd buy Nike instead of Reebok requires you to make a distinction between the brands. Uh, and lots of people kind of, Coke and Pepsi, it's the same thing. Lots of us kind of culturally have bought into or uh, lived in relationship to the set of distinctions that these uh, these companies make through their marketing marketing forms. Um, in English, we often say either draw a distinction or make a distinction, but then we could make a distinction between these two ways of describing the act of drawing distinctions. In other words, what's the difference between to make and to draw? So what's the difference between Nike What's the difference and Reebok? What's the difference between making and drawing a distinction? Uh, what's the difference between love and marriage, et cetera? I can go on and on and on catalog, cataloging the numerous kinds of distinctions that we can make and the, and the kinds of distinctions that we do make in our lives. The important point here, however, is that we can or ought to, if we really want to, use the power of a distinction to alter the course of a communicative interaction. And a good communicator knows how to do that. That's a critical practice for reframing debates, for altering people's perceptions of events, for generating um, what's called in, in persuasion, what's called presence in the minds of an audience for particular propositions. And presence is when some feature of an argument is brought to the foreground in someone's mind instead of the background. And the ability to make fine distinctions helps in that foregrounding process. So if you're listening and you're academic, I'm an academic, I write academic work, all great academic work relies on careful distinctions as well. And sometimes academics have to invent words in order to make distinctions. 
which is a skill good leaders could employ also, by the way. Uh, the finer and more careful distinction or the more subtle the distinction, often the more persuasive that distinction can be, which is particularly true in academic work. It's also particularly true in legal work. Lawyers of all of the human beings on the planet are masters of this practice. I do not know why law schools don't have a course in making distinctions. It is the cornerstone of, the, of acting as a lawyer, as far as I can tell. Um, and so, so you see this with William Barr right now, who's the Attorney General of the United States on TV, constantly making these, they call it dissembling when they... they when the press wants to accuse William Barr of sort of making distinctions that don't really matter, uh, they call it dissembling. But anyway, lawyers are masters at that practice. Uh, sometimes we can commit a fallacy that's called a distinction without a difference. And that means we've made a verbal or symbolic distinction that really means the same thing. So if you say, I didn't kill that man, I murdered him, then that's a kind of distinction without a difference. I'm sometimes a little bit amazed at how little one can find on that process in texts on critical thinking or effective arguments. And maybe that's because it's such a simple practice and so easy to understand. So maybe if you're listening right now, you're thinking, well, this is the dumbest episode of this series because everybody knows how to make distinctions already. And maybe that's why it doesn't really appear in those kinds of textbooks. Uh, and so, it, like, and that might very well be true. So the other day I caught my uh, 10 year old. Um, he, like I, he was doing something and, uh, he then said, um, uh, he wasn't being arrogant, but he was just confident that he was right. He said something and I was like, no, 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 like, that's not right. And you're acting really kind of arrogant about it. And he said, well, no, I'm not being arrogant. I'm just confident that I'm right. And when he did that, I kind of smiled because I knew he was practicing the art of making distinctions already. And I knew if that ability we give him an advantage in all human interactions. So the art of making distinctions is potentially endless, and that's because of the richness of language and the ambiguity of uncertainty that attends our experiences of the world. So we can always explain any experience in multiple ways. That's really, really important to, for understanding persuasion and for understanding persuasive communication. Uh, and we. And the way we choose to make distinctions about our experience will shape the meanings that we create later on. They'll also shape the decisions that we make and the actions that we take. So after September 11th, 2001, uh, George W. Bush had this decision to make in a speech right after whether or not to call uh, the the World Trade Center, the, the planes that flew into the, the acts that drove the planes into the World Trade Center, whether they call it an act of war or something else. Um, and it was a careful distinction and he chose war because we knew, once you heard the word war, you knew America was going to have to declare war on a nation state of some sort. It would frame the response and the decisions that we had to make afterward. Um, so if they called it like an illegal action or a crime, um, let's say they call the, the World Trade Center bombings a crime instead of an act of war. If we call the thing a crime, then that implicates a system of legal jurisprudence, including the FBI and the CIA, which would have overseen and driven our response. If you call it an act of war, of course, then the Department of Defense has the responsibility for the response. So the what I want to note here that's particularly, I think, 
important is that the distinctions that we choose to make are the things that have powerful effects in any communicative interaction. Um, so here's a, like one more way to look at this. I talked about word choice in an earlier episode, and whenever I teach writing, I talk about word choice a whole bunch, and I say different words have different effects. So you have to be careful with the words that you choose in writing. Okay, making distinctions is very, very similar. We can recognize that any experience or any phenomena or anything can be described in any one of a number of, of synonymous ways. So there's lots and lots of synonyms for describing a particular event or a particular experience or a particular object. The way we choose to make a distinction between two comparable ways of describing that event or that object or that thing is extraordinarily powerful in the effect that it can have because naming or giving language to something in that way frames the conversation that everyone else afterward can have in response to your initial communicative action. Uh, so therein lies a tremendous amount of power. And so like when we do this in trivial ways, um, thoughtlessly and ineffectively, we might do it like this. So uh, I was looking for a chair for my living room a few months ago and my son and I went to the store and we're looking around for chairs and I was like, oh, that's a nice chair. And he said, no, 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 that is a really good chair. And he was trying to make a distinction between the two chairs. He's like, no, that's a chair. That's not, so, not, not really a chair. Uh, well, they're both actually chairs and he lacked persuasive power in that particular circumstance because he just used the same word for the distinction. He was trying to make a distinction. He was trying to craft a difference between the two kinds of chairs. Um, he could have said, you know, that's a chair for peasants and that's a chair for royalty. So he could have given it some language. Uh, as soon as we give our distinction language, that's when it acquires its kind of powerful capacity for doing work in the world. Um, so masters of rhetoric uh, for years, for centuries, had the job of uh, initially before they even gave speeches or longer or constructed longer pieces of discourse, they began by making fine distinctions between synonyms, uh, hard and difficult, for example, um, uh, elastic and stretchy. Um, yeah, so any time there are two synonyms, a master of communication can think carefully about the distinction between the synonyms, make a distinction with a difference, and then use that distinction with a difference to frame conversations and produce effects on audiences. Okay, so let's just try think about employing this particular communication strategy and, and as a powerful tool. Um, so if you're in conversation with someone, if you're in a debate with someone, or if you're proceeding into a debate with someone, uh, you have a great deal of agency in your responses to claims through the way in which you make distinctions. And one way to respond to any kind of claim is always with a fine distinction that makes a careful difference between two slightly similar ways of seeing an event, whereby the slightly the, the one way that you prefer to see the event has slightly more advantageous um, advantageous connotations or advantageous consequences for your view of the world. Um, or you can do it kind of more brusquely or more harshly. So, you know, let's say, you know, there's a fight going on and you jump into the fight to defend your friend 
and you get smacked up the head with a you know with a glass and your other friend comes by and says wow that was stupid and you retort back no 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 i was being loyal i wasn't being stupid and so you've reframed the conversation uh, away from stupidity and toward your commitment to your friend and of course you can have a contest over whether that action was loyal or that action was stupid but because you've introduced a distinction with a difference into the conversation, the other person has to now respond to your claim to loyalty instead of you responding to that claim to stupidity. So um, if you feel like you're losing an argument ever, uh, you feel like you're on the defensive, you feel like you're not getting very far, the other thing to do is to not engage the central kinds of, uh, the central language being employed by uh, the person that's winning the argument and instead reframe the conversation with a distinction and with a difference around a different kind of, of vocabulary. Um, and so right now, this is a big thing that, well, a big concern is climate change. And one of the things that's wonderful, of course, is that finally those on the left are demanding that we call it a climate crisis instead of climate change. So we went from global warming to climate change. And of course, that's a distinction with a difference because global warming highlights the fact that the planet is getting warming and is getting warmer and climate change does not. So in response, those that uh, would like to see, like me, that would like to see climate change legislation or, or legislation to address the climate crisis have now reintroduced a new distinction. Instead of global warming, they're going, they're going to try and call it a climate crisis. And I think there's an enormous amount at stake in that distinction. Whether or not public discourse begins reframing the conversation about environmental policy with the term climate crisis will determine what the outcome or what the kinds of policies or actions that ultimately take place afterward will be. So I'm, I'm uh, so glad to see those on the left introducing a distinction with a difference and trying to capture the, um, the conversation through reframing it as a crisis instead of just a change. If they have, if the, those on the right that oppose climate change or, or climate crisis legisla uh, legislation, if they have to respond to the crisis part, then that will persuasively alter the stakes of the conversation and push it in a particular direction. Um, so you can use this with your parents, uh, with your loved ones, with people on opposing political sides, etc. Uh, it is the kind of simplest and, and one of the most foundational persuasive communication practices that you've got available to you. So when in doubt, make a distinction. And if you wanna get really good at communication, get really good at making distinctions with a difference and using distinctions with a difference to produce effects on audiences, frame conversations, and push the direction of conversations to likely outcomes. Um, I can't think of any better advice. And whenever I see someone that's really, really good at making distinctions, I often think, oh, that person's an excellent communicator. Um, okay, so that's it for today's episode. I'll be back shortly with another uh, another episode about also about persuasion. Thanks everyone for listening.